Hi, I'm Isabel Allen, editor of Architecture Today. And this is the first episode of Habitat Matters, a new six-part podcast series produced in partnership with ACCO. The series explores the challenges involved in unlocking the potential for natural systems and biodiversity to enrich our urban environments. My guests today are Phil Askew, Peabody's Director of Landscape and Placemaking for Thamesmead, and Neil Mattinson, a Director at LDA Design. And we're here today to talk about the work they're doing to unlock the potential of Thamesmead's natural assets. So, Phil, can you tell us a little bit about Thamesmead's history and Peabody's role in its evolution? Well, Thamesmead uh, is, a, is an interesting part of South East London and one which... Um, well, I think, as you mentioned when we were talking earlier, Isabel, some people may not even know where it is, but um, uh, it's one of these parts of London, perhaps a little bit like Stratford was pre-Olympics, which is a bit of a sort of mystery for some people. Um, Thamesmead uh, is, is on a sort of uh, is, is, uh, downstream of Woolwich in London, uh, and I think it's fair to say it very much reflects the sort of eastward movement of London down the Thames estuary, Very something which was really predicted many years ago in, in, in many ways, I guess. Um, Thamesmead is unusual in that it was planned as a new town for London in the 60s by the GLC, uh, and it was seen as a town of, I think, if I'm correct, up to 100,000 people, um, uh, and, uh, and a response to a housing crisis mm-hmm. at the time, which was very much about quality of housing rather than numbers. So lots of people living... Uh, particularly perhaps in East London and other places, in houses of multiple occupation and poor sanitation, those sorts of things. So, um, And it was also an opportunity to take a large piece of land, which hitherto had been used in part uh, uh, as an arsenal, as an extension of the Woolwich Arsenal area, uh, armaments, etc., and use it, for, use it for something else, because that, that area, that land use was closing down. So in the 60s, the GLC planned Thamesmead, and started to build it, uh, and they built um, some of what had been intended, but not all. And, of course, uh, um, as some people will know, the GLC was wound up uh, and disappeared, ultimately becoming the GLA after a hiatus. Um, uh, And in the meantime, Thamesmead was transferred to uh, a different ownership organisation, a housing association called Galleons, uh, a commercial landowner called Tilfin Land, uh, and a trust which sort of sat sat in the middle and looked after people, Thamesmead, Trust Thamesmead, as it was called at the time. Um, I wasn't around uh, at Peabody in 2014 when they took over Thamesmead, so I'm not entirely sure how that all happened. But obviously some conversations were had and, and, and Peabody acquired uh, um, Galleons, the housing association element, um, which consists of about... I think it's about 16,000 residents uh, in total in Thamesmead, quite a large area. Um, the original uh, GLC built uh, brutalist housing, the concrete housing stock and others as well, not just that. They also acquired the commercial land element, um, which is now starting to play out in particular in the waterfront project, which um, uh, is a joint project between uh, Peabody and Lendlease. Um, and Trust Thamesmead. And so 2014, they acquired the whole lot um, uh, um, and uh, uh, set up a team, which um, I eventually joined, to really try and work out what what we can do with this extraordinary and unusual part of London and the phenomenal opportunity that it presents. Um, And I think it's fair to say we're now moving along quite fast uh, um, uh, and uh, we've got some very big development projects starting to happen 
on the ground or indeed as with the waterfront project being being planned out. The big thing for me in Thamesmead and for our long-term plan for Thamesmead is what do we do with the landscape assets that Peabody acquired as part of the package, if you like. Um, and uh, it's a very unusual situation for someone like Peabody to have such enormous areas of green space and indeed particularly water in Thamesmead, which is the, which is the big the big element, if you like. So the parks, the lakes, the canals, etc., which are quite unusual, very unusual, in fact, in, 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 in this country, let alone South East London. I was reading that apparently residents in Thamesmead have twice the amount of green space mm. per resident than anywhere else in London, but visit it much less often. Mm. Why is that? Why are they so casual or even dismissive about these amazing landscape assets they have on their doorstep? Yes, it's a very good question. I think, um, well, first of all, when it was when it was conceived you know, and, and, and built out by those men in suits in the 60s, you know, it was a very green, green context, um, deliberately so, um, rather like the Newtown movement. But I'm afraid it, it lost its, its way quite early on. Um, I mean, it's known for many things, you know, it's brutalist architecture and um, it, it's, it, its place in cultural society. But in terms of its of its links with the rest of London, um, transport links, whether they be road, rail, or even by, by, by river, um, it's, it's largely sort of cut off in actual fact. So I think people who live there um, have a feeling that they're a bit of an enclave. Um, they're very strong in their own community. And there's a, a very substantial number of um, West African uh, communities in Thamesmead and culturally that should be very rich but I think in their own culture they, they tend to kind of keep themselves to themselves as well and there's a lot of staying indoors uh, and I think because of that sort of remoteness uh, and this wealth of landscape the landscape rather than being something which is seen as a, a positive and something that should be enjoyed and shared it's there's there's large areas of it sadly that, that also feel unsafe um, uh, and there's no curation to, to much of it. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's, there's a sort of um, love, love hate almost with some aspects of it. I mean, people actually love the green space and the greenness, but they don't necessarily use it. And, and, mm. and I think um, some of it does feel quite remote and not necessarily a place that you should be or might be to feel too safe. Um, I mean, for example, 50%, this is from Space Syntax, 50% of all of the green space or green spaces in Thamesmead are not overlooked. So they've got sort of backs, gable ends, back garden fences, sort of fairly, they, you know, they, 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 and also, as, as Neil said, there's not necessarily a lot to do there. So why would you go there sort of thing? Uh, you know, the curation of that space is something which really hasn't happened for a long time. So that begs the question, though, doesn't it, about whether you actually need spatial solutions or whether it's about activation, yeah. communication? Yes, exactly that, Isabel. I mean, I think, you know, another sort of secret of Thames Media, and there are many, as we've learned as we've evolved in the project, you know, there are over seven and a half kilometres of canals in, in Thames Media. Who knew that? Um, and of course, that was all part of that original kind of um, vision back, back in the 60s. But, but we've learned so much. Those canals are actually at the backs of all the developments. So they, they turn their backs. So there's no the need to activate as you... You don't because you don't look at it. You don't even traverse it because over the years that canal corridor again has become seen seen to be slightly unsafe and so forth. What's happened, of course, is that nature has reclaimed that 
and it's become now the most fantastic, fantastic ecological corridor um, to, to be exploited, um, but in a very, very sensitive way, of course. Uh, and the whole point of, um, you know, the, the climate change resilience, we, we couldn't be coming to this project at a better time. We're seeing it all over the, the news at the moment, of course, and COP, COP26 coming forward at the end of the year. But in terms of the ability for Thamesme to really, really get to grips with some of the climate change resilience in the landscape context, uh, we, we've got a fantastic opportunity to do that. And, and therefore, the people who aren't engaging, who are, who are living there now, um, they, there's a real opportunity for them to be, to, to be pioneers. I mean, it's always been a kind of pioneer town in many ways. Um, but, but, but those sort of climate, um, we call, I could say activists, but people who are passionate about sort of ensuring that we actually make some positive moves, um, the, the, the template is there to, to allow us to bring Thamesmead mm. absolutely as a, up, to, up to a place where you'd, not, not only a place of great choices um, in terms of enjoying the landscape, whether that's a play or, or work or, or sport, but actually a place where you'd actually want to go and live. Um, well, I was very struck um, by the fact that the original housing was designed absolutely to withstand flood. So you had the living spaces yeah. on the first floor above garages, which, of course, now seems you know very prescient. It feels as though it's got the raw materials, doesn't it? But it has this sort of slightly um, almost dystopian yeah. reputation. Very much. And I, I don't know how you how you shift reputations like that. Hmm. I think, I think, well, I, think I, I think, I think that's, a, I mean, it's something that not surprisingly, you know, uh, people in, we've been very interested in um, because certainly, you know, in the past, um, you know, if people know anything about Thames Meet, sometimes it's, Oh, that's where they filmed Clockwork Orange or that's where Misfits was filmed, etc., etc. And I certainly think that, um, you know, various points we've sort of thought, Oh, crumbs, we don't like this. I think we've grown up now and actually it's something to celebrate. Frankly, Thames Meet is unusual. Thames Meet has, as Neil has said, some quite extraordinarily unique characteristics. You know, for us in many ways, Thames Mead's time has come. You're listening to Habitat Matters, produced by Architecture Today in partnership with ACCO as part of their Habitat Matters campaign. Find out more at habitat-matters.com. In the context of Greater London, the sort of, and, and, and in the context of a year when people have really woken up about, I think, about climate change, but also about the benefits of green space and getting out, obviously, through lockdown, Thamesmead has got all the ingredients that you need to make a really great and healthy place to live. Um, and I think that's part of the story that which we're telling through living in the landscape or the other work that we're doing as well. No, I think you're right. And of course, we're all hungry, aren't we, for huge visions at the moment. Mm. And, and I, I um, loved the fact that when people were first talking about Thamesmead, you, you referenced um, this idea about people punting to the shops, for mm. example. <laughs> yeah. And it feels as though it's, it, there's been a huge amount of sort of... Um, I don't know, almost poetry and kind of dream making going into it. Mm. Um, and I'm, I was, frankly, I thought living in the landscape might be slightly heavy going because it felt like, my God, you know, there's such a lot to get through and it's such a serious document. And I was very struck by the kind of 
the willingness to, to to dream you know and you talk about oh, there's going to be a new beach or there's going to be all these sort of lovely big evocative ideas and really imagining a future but I suppose um what I am curious to know is how do you know those aren't the white elephants of the future you need, you know you do those big radical ideas what gives you the confidence to know that we're not going to be there in sort of 50 years time and somebody like me is going to be saying hey, I thought a beach was a good idea everyone's terrified <laughs> of it yeah <laughs> well I suppose there's a couple of things I think so much of the original vision of Thames Mead was fantastic. You know, it was it was it was uh, very visionary, and 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 in many respects, what we're doing is we're taking so much of what was originally conceived and carrying on with that mission, if you like, albeit in a slightly different context, in a context where you know climate change is now a big issue, um, uh, where London is changing, people's working and living patterns are quite probably changing as well. But I think what I've always reflected upon in Thamesmead is that is that Peabody has been incredibly fortuitous, actually, in taking this on because it's got something which, um, if you started from scratch, you'd never have. You would just never, ever have. Um, so, you know, the canal network, uh, which Neil was talking about, is extraordinarily visionary. Um, you know, nowadays, of course, you know, it's expected for developments to have sustainable urban drainage, subsystems, all that sort of thing. Well, Thamesmead's seven and a half kilometres of canals and five lakes is a gigantic subsystem, um, and it could have been built for today. Mm. Now, it needs work, and it can be improved, and it can be changed to make it um, even better. But, mm. you know, what I find so exciting is it's like having, you know, a fantastic cookery book and having all the ingredients um, already in place. Um, and, and in a sense, all we've got to do say all it's quite a big all but all we've got to do now is follow through with that and also think about some things which have changed so Thamesmead was built around a car well that's changing so how do we make it a place where people can walk and cycle very easily etc etc but as I say I feel you know privileged frankly that we've got this phenomenal set of ingredients these assets that we can we can we can we can do extraordinary things with that's why I think to an extent we're not ripping up the book and starting again you know, we're working with what we've got, and I think that's that's the that's the sensible way to do it. Thamesmead starts with people, and the, and that's our ethos in LDA design: it's, it's people first, and, and then and then places, and, and then buildings. <laughs> um, and as Phil's just said about Peabody, we, we're we're incredibly fortunate. We we have a client here um, who has been caring about people since what 1862 i think was when peabody came came to the i thought you were talking about me for a second then well i could have been (laughs) not that old (laughs) for us that's fantastic because we have a we have a client here that's a custodian uh and will curate and we know that's going to be the case for the next 30 to 50 years and that's very unique in developing a whole new kind of vision for the place and because for every big piece of vision and you, you mentioned the point about white elephants and things you know whether it's the big blue or wilder Thamesmead and active Thamesmead productive landscape uh, Thamesmead connected Thamesmead they're the five themes if you will within the vision for every one of those big ticket items if you like there's a dozen small items which relate to one-to-one to your neighbor to the next door neighbor um, and it's been very interesting in COVID of course because we've not been able to do um, very little in terms of the, the, what you'd call, you know, press press the flesh sort of consultation and meeting people and talk, talking people through and, and gaining their trust. 
Um, and that's something we at LDA design, because we, we've been involved in the consultation side of landscape. And the one thing that people are very distrustful of is, is, um, is kind of architects and, and, and politicians and everyone mm. else who, who pontificates and then doesn't deliver. Um, and we, we, are, we are quite unique, I think, as a profession, as landscape architects, because we can straddle that fence in a way and gain, gain that trust. Um, on a one-to-one -one basis and be that person and really sort of empathize and, and, and work with them. And then, you know, you, you do need one or two big projects just to wave that flag. And then it, it, it brings the world alert, you know, that more, more um, finance comes into play and then it speeds up and the slowly that wheel starts turning faster and faster. And then you get the pride and everybody, um, you know, I remember going back to, gosh, um, this is my 1862 moment, Phil. Um, you know, back back to the days of the Liverpool International Garden Festival. You know, why did that happen? Because of discontent, riots, all manner of things. And suddenly, a landscape project was deemed to be the most fabulous thing to bring the the, the, the culture and the community together. Suddenly, with Olympics, to be honest, you put a big fence around it for the for the four weeks of the games, and it excluded all the communities and. That was not the greatest start to what we want the Olympic Park to be or, or the Liverpool Festival. Um, but it's working your way through with these and staying with them long term. It's not a it's not an in out project. Yeah, and that, that's a re really good point. I mean, you know, Peabody's role in Thamesmead is is not 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 a sort of traditional developer role where we you know in and out sort of thing. Um, you know, we have a, a, a twenty thirty year vision. Uh, and uh, you know we know that uh, that that's really important in terms of you know making places work. I guess being in there for the long term. Well, and in terms of the the kind of financial decisions you can make, and um, this brings me on to your the work you're doing with natural capital accounting, which I think uh, is fascinating. And um, I know you're you're quoting some incredible sort of data about the the payback you get from making, well, from investing in landscape and natural systems. Obviously, it's got to be the right investment, hasn't it, like anything. Mm. Um, but there is an issue, isn't there, because it's such a slow return. And I can see that you as an organisation are set up to kind of manage a 50-year business plan, maybe even a 100-year business plan. Um, but obviously, as with any sort of authority, you've got residents who are going to want to see quick results. Mm -hmm. So I guess my first question is how, how do you make that trade-off between really thinking long-term in the way you have to and actually producing enough visible results that you keep momentum and you keep mm -hmm. people with you? Mm -hmm. That's a very good point um, and, and, and absolutely right. I mean, I think, uh, I think the long-term approach is, is fundamentally important and particularly around landscape because – things take time you know if we had a as i hope i'm sure we will do had a long-term tree replacement and planting program you know absolutely vital in terms of climate change urban heat island effect capturing air pollutants uh all those sorts of things um much better to do it over 10 20 years than to try and as some some promises are being made at the moment try to do it over the next sort of political cycle or something like that you know um but i think i think the, i think there are sort of 
crudely, crudely put, there are sort of three parts to Thamesmead. The thing that we can really take our time over, although we need to, you know, move quickly in terms of our thinking, is the sort of wider landscape. You know, there are big pieces of work to be done there, whether it's sorting out the canal network or uh, improving lakes and water quality or tree planting or uh, diversifying, you know, the grasslands into more meadows, these sorts of things. Um, you know, it, to an extent, we want to take our time over that because we want to involve people. We want to have residents and uh, people locally involved in the landscape. We've got a whole program, uh, Making Space for Nature, which is our public-facing program and that takes time you can't just turn on and off sort of community involvement engagement whatever it happens to be very quickly um so so we're we're thinking about these sort of big and i think they are big and very important landscape moves over a longer period of time but um as you've sort of mentioned people's immediate living environments the the space outside their front door which hasn't been touched for 30 years or maybe even in some cases since it was first built 50 years ago in the very earliest developments, um, are absolutely in need of improvement. So we do have work going on now, and we've, we've completed some over the last couple of years, which is uh, around whether it's building improvements. So, for example, you know, all the, the tower blocks in Thamesmead, double glazing them all, um, uh, taking out their original windows and improving them, or, or in terms of some of the um, South Thamesmead, the concrete stock architecture, um, radically changing the spaces outside their houses, you know, putting in play, putting in courtyards, putting in sustainable urban drainage systems, a whole series of interventions, which have, you know, already made a big difference and, and uh, you know, been welcomed by the people living there. This is Habitat Matters, produced by Architecture Today in partnership with ECHO, a podcast series that looks at the challenges involved in putting biodiversity and green infrastructure at the heart of our built environment. And of course, the third component is the development work. So, you know, we've just opened our first new development in Southmere uh, with a new public square, uh, more of that coming along. And, and as you know, we're working on the waterfront project, which is a you know, a bit of a monster, but um, uh, and, 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 and you know, nothing's going to be happening on the ground quickly, but it's going to be transformational in terms of Thamesmead over over the next 20 years, or, or in West Thamesmead with Barclay Homes on, on a development out there. So, um, so it's having all of these pieces working together. And I think also, most importantly, um, it's how we manage the estate as well. So we've changed the approach to management over the last two years, two or three years, um, in terms of cleaning, in terms of litter, you know, quite simple things in many ways, but things which actually make a huge difference to how people perceive a place, how they think about it, uh, what sort of part they play in it. Um, uh, and, you know, we now know that people are really happy with the sort of quality of management and maintenance, particularly of the green estate, that is in Thamesmead. Um, uh, so it's it's putting all of these things together. I think this is what's so fascinating about a place of this size. You have to sort of address numerous issues and items at the same time, thinking long-term and short-term. Yeah. The conversation about management and maintenance, which obviously is, you know, so crucial to people's mm. sense of civic pride and safety and all those things. But um, I suppose, Neil, I want to kind of bring it explicitly back to this issue of, of wildlife and biodiversity, because, of course, 
mm-hmm. you know, as you said, one of the weaknesses of the area, which is that lots of the kind of past and public space have been neglected and overgrown. In a way, that's a dream for wildlife, isn't it? Yeah. So how how do you manage that tension between kind of making spaces feel looked after and observed and therefore safe? Sure. And not actually destroying some of the habitats that would have grown up kind of by default while we weren't looking. Yeah. The starting point is with everything is just, first of all, what have you got? You know, there's been a huge amount of work done as part of the project today that just mapping the data. What what are we actually dealing with? Uh, and what is rare? What is common? What is what is a bit of a thug, to be quite honest, in, in, in ecological terms? Um, and then, okay, so how do we manage that going forward? Because the, the, a lot of the problems with Thamesmead are that um, it's a, there's a lot of monoculture there. You know, that the landscape was actually dropped in, you know, virtually overnight. So you've got species which are um, of a similar age. Um, and then what you have to guard against is that they don't sort of drop out in 20, 30 years' time. So it's, there's, there's a huge amount of management in, in, the, uh, in, in, in the trees to, just to be considered and put some diversity back in there to encourage that ecology to, to sort of take root. But we've also got a biodiversity action plan uh, coming together, and that's not just based on, you know, neighbouring boroughs' biodiversity action plans, but there'll be a specific one for Thamesmead, and it's how they all connect, though, going beyond Thamesmead. Um, so um, how do people in ecology mix? Well, I think, again, I, I, I would go back to the Olympic Park. Look, look at what we have there. You know, that was almost an instant landscape in, in many people's eyes. Um, and we, we designed that landscape for the um, safeguarding and the encouragement uh, of, 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 of ecological, both fauna and flora species, things that were locally rare, um, think the things that were, we knew had been there, but, but you know, man's sort of pressures uh, and the use of that site, of course, uh, had long since seen them move out. Um, so we create the, the, we, we create the stage you know, what we don't do is come in and sort of drop things down our trouser legs and sort of falsify everything. This is, this is creating this, the stage for that future to take control of itself. And there's a fantastic story emerging now uh, on Thamesmead. So there's the golf course, the, the former golf course, I'll call it, which truly it, it is, um, small golf course and driving range. And in a very short number of years, you know, seven or eight years, that, that nature is reclaiming that golf course. So you've, you've, you've lost all the bunkers and the greens and all the rest of it. And you've got some really interesting species coming in here. But then we also want to, to, to open that up to the people of Thamesmead. How can they engage with that and use it? So there is some sensitivities to that. You know, you can't just have mass mass sort of outpourings. It's, it's an element of control. We'll, we'll be putting in some boardwalks. Um, but the amount of cross usage, you know, for instance, horse riding, um, there's even the possibility of taking motocross and you think, gosh, a motocross, how's that a good neighbor with ecology? But we're looking forward to the future. So there's uh, um, uh, electric motocross. So you, get, you don't get the noise pollution, you don't get the air pollution, but you get a community use that's really required. And it's a fabulous part of Thamesmead to, to, have, to enjoy that, that, that recreational pursuit because it is this kind of slightly sort of um, you know, for, forgotten remote part of, of, of Thames. And we want to look, we want to keep that, you know, the last thing we want to do is start managing it to an inch of its life so that we, it all becomes manicured. But, but that, that management and maintenance regime, which again will form part of a long-term management and maintenance um, strategy, 
um, is subtle interventions. You know, there, there may be some there may be some initial big moves just to, to, to create the framework, if you will. But then sort of interventions. And actually, people, people and uh, ecology mix very, very well. Um, we can, we've seen it happen massively in this COVID 18 months where ecology is moving in, of course, into our towns and cities. Um, but there's plenty of space at Thamesmead for, for that kind of work to work together, for sure. And, and the benefits, you know, we've done, Vivid are on our team, Vivid, Vivid Economics, and back to your finance point, you know, that we, we know we're, we're, we're having to sort of devise and, 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 and look at whole new ways of, of measuring the landscape benefits. You know, as a landscape architect, you know, the frustration is when, when a client says, well, what's that worth to me? You know, if I'm going to spend X million pounds on this project, what do I get back? Uh, and for many, many years, that's been quite a, a difficult thing to, to sort of analyze. But we're, we're getting there. There's a lot of research being done at various universities, Exeter University in particular in the UK. Um, and we are now devising, you know, accepted, government approved, if you will, uh, at many levels, uh, ways of, of measuring what those benefits are. Mm. So on this project, we've got a, we've got a you know, notional numbers of, you know, sort of 900 million the pounds and benefits over the next 30 years. The actual costs of delivering those benefits are probably a tenth of that, in all honesty. You know, so it's a, it's a one to nine, one to 10 ratio of, of benefit. It's a hugely compelling argument, um, but I kind of come back to this point that, you know, obviously elected politicians are naturally predisposed to invest money in something that's going to show very quick results. Private developers, probably can't justify taking a kind of 30 50 year view uh in terms of their shareholders what have you you know if this actually catches on in the way it should as a standard way of assessing the investment decisions we make about our public realm does that mean that actually we have to move more and more towards organizations like peabody having control over vast areas i genuinely genuinely believe the times are a changing to quote to quote the song you know it, it, the, the boroughs and all of the um, um, supporters and, and, and sort of co-funders in the project you know, and that includes GLA Thames water um, so some big bodies in here uh, are all have all bought into this project and they all understand that it's it's it's, it's, it's you know it goes way beyond five-year terms of national government. Um, and we're setting down this framework. And it is a framework. It's not a master plan, to be very clear. It's a framework which will evolve. Um, but I really do feel that, um, that, that you know, from the meetings and the, the correspondences that we've had and what we want to do in the future, that everybody realizes that this is a time for change, you know, not just from a climate resilience perspective. Obviously, you set out on producing this vision for, for Thamesmead you had to have a crystal ball and you probably couldn't, even you probably couldn't have predicted the pandemic mm. and the kind of visible manifestations of climate disaster that we've had over the last 18 months or so. Is there anything now about your strategy or vision that you feel needs to be revisited? Um, interesting. It's, 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 it's something I've actually thought about a lot. Um, um, I think fundamentally no. I mean, I think um, you know the, the the living in the landscape emphasises a number of things. It emphasises you know climate breakdown. You know, it emphasises the need to think differently. Um, it emphasises um, 
the need to think about people and planet, people and nature, if you like, living together. Um, and it also makes a really strong point about um, the value, particularly to people's health, never mind others, others, uh, uh, our, uh, our fellow travellers uh, in, in, in the ecological world, if you like. It emphasises the value that all that brings, which I think is so, so important. And the value, as Neil said, of the investment. You know, I've always said, you know, what this gives you, this tiny investment gives you, is an enormous amount of benefit. And I think what's what what's striking is that that benefit is becoming increasingly obvious, really obvious uh, uh, in, in so many ways. So would I change anything? I don't think I would. But what I would say is that I think that we need to uh, double down on climate change. We need to really think really hard and really ambitiously about the way we want our cities and urban areas to work in the future and what we'll need to do to, to make them places where people can actually live comfortably. I mean, you know, look at what's happening in other parts of the world. People are being driven out of homes. Urban areas are being destroyed by climate change in one form or another. Um, now, you know, we're in a summer where we're having a mixture of hot sun and enormous amounts of rain, but we're being told this morning that uh, we're going to be pushed in much more extreme situations over the next, you know, decades, years. Um, and I think uh, a place like Thamesmead, um, with its sort of rich uh, wealth of green and blue, is is one of the one opportunity to take those ingredients, to take those assets, and think, okay, we've got this fantastic opportunity to make these places work really hard to make a successful place in in a city in London, whatever. Um, and I think living in the landscape. Is, is an important step along the way. I wouldn't say it's the end by any means. I think we need, to, and we will, we will, whether it's through planning or legislation or other means, need to respond, um, you know, harder if you like over the next, you know, few years. But I think um, uh, what I'm pleased about, and I'm really pleased with the work that uh, LDA led, is that it, it seems, you know, uh, and has been acknowledged to be forward thinking at least within this current time frame. <laughs> so that's that's good. Phil and Neil, thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Habitat Matters, brought to you by Architecture Today in partnership with ACCO as part of a whole series of webinars and podcasts about bringing biodiversity into the built environment. To find out more, visit architecturetoday.co.uk forward slash podcasts. In our next episode, I'll be talking to Deborah Saunt of DSDHA and James Fox of FFLO Landscapes about bringing a new park into the heart of London's Broadgate. 